Well, hello, I am Patrick Schwenk, and I am so thankful that you are listening in with me today at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's Word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by His mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Well, today we're continuing our conversation on suffering and more specifically how we can get through the hard stuff. And as we said, we're going to be inviting some of our friends into this conversation. And today I am just really excited to have another one of those friends joining us. Her story is so important for us to hear. And I know it's going to be a story that's going to encourage you. And it's a story that we, we can really learn a lot from. And her name is Courtney Joseph. Many of you may already know her as a popular Bible teacher, blogger, and author. And I can't wait to share today's episode with you and introduce you to Courtney. And so let's get started. Well, my guest today is Courtney Joseph. She is a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute. She is the creator of womenlivingwell.org, where she is blogging through the Bible one chapter a day. She is also the founder of goodmorninggirls.org. She has been featured on the Rachel Ray Show and has spoken at many national conferences, some of those including Proverbs 31 Ministries, She Speaks, The Nines, and a lot more. Um, Courtney has published over 20 Bible studies, and you can follow her on Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, uh, under uh, Women Living Well. And so I want to encourage you to check out the show notes. Her full bio will be there. But Courtney, welcome to Root Like Faith. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Courtney, I know that you and Ruth, my, my wife, have been friends now for 10 years. We were talking about that last night. And so I think <laughs> you guys have been friends for, for 10 years. Is that correct? That's right. Oh, I love her so much. You guys, I know Ruth, um, I think she was just getting into blogging and you had already been blogging for, for a time. And so I remember her kind of reaching out and, and, um, and, and just picking your brain and getting wisdom. And so I know you have been such a faithful friend. So I just want to begin by saying thank you for being such a good friend to Ruth. I think as a parent, uh, and you know this, as a parent, you, we oftentimes think about um, and pray for friends for our kids, you know, for the, the, the right friends for our kids. And I was just thinking about that recently as a spouse, as a husband, like how important that is for, um, in, for me, for my wife. And so I just feel like you have been such an answer to prayer. You've been um, that kind of a friend, just a godly friend, a dependable friend, a faithful friend to Ruth. And so I just want to start by saying thank you for being that kind of friend to Ruth uh, over the years. She's been the same. I mean, I will later probably mention her, but she's one of my friends who showed up in the midst of my crisis and not just, you know, with like a text message to say she was praying, but she showed up physically and it meant more than I think people, you know, realize when people actually show up in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, Courtney, I, as you know, um, you uh, we have a book coming out in September, and um, it, it's called In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake, Trusting the God Who Meets Us in Our Storm. And uh, it's a book about suffering. It's, it's a book about trials. It's a, it's a book about um, those circumstances, those seasons when we find ourselves disoriented, disillusioned. And it's really a book about the many ways that God teaches us in the midst of chaos, even more so than in a classroom. And so we're going to be talking about that, that theme today on this episode. And as you know, everybody at some point finds themselves in a boat in the middle of a lake. And it might be, um, you know, a miscarriage. It might be a child that, that is, has a disability. For, for us, it was my cancer diagnosis. But your deep waters came in the context of your marriage and in your family. And so as we get started, would you just share what that looked like? Would you just begin by, by sharing your story and, and how you found yourself in deep waters? Uh, yeah, my husband walked out 
on December 22nd of 2015, just three days before Christmas. I mean, it was the worst timing in the world because there was no way to conceal it. Um, you know, that Christmas is a time when you see all your family and all your closest friends. And um, unexpectedly, suddenly, I was in the midst of fighting for my marriage and I was um, just all these people were around and there was suddenly lots of opinions and lots of voices entering in. And I was still myself just in shock of the fact that my marriage was starting to unravel. So um, just to begin the story, you know, 10 months later, um, on October 31st of 2016, um, after 19 years of marriage, our divorce was finalized in court. Um, but let me back up and just share with you just sort of how we got there. I uh, met my husband my junior year of high school at the church youth group. And uh, my senior year, he took me to prom. And that summer, we fell in love during the summer. And then we both went off to college separately. So I went off to the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and he went to the Ohio State. And so we dated long distance for four years. Um, but during that time, you could not keep us apart, even though we were apart. Um, I went home every month, every chance I could go home, you know, like fall break, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Labor Day, you name it. I was back in Ohio to see my man. And um, he was super consistent guy. Um, very, He's a very intense guy. And so he wrote me a letter every single day of those four years. And I have all those letters still um, upstairs. So um, when we got married, it was just a huge relief to finally be together. And so the first six years of our marriage were just, uh, we really enjoyed each other. We had a lot of fun together, just building the foundation of our marriage. Um, we got along very well, no red flags that I can say looking back, like, oh, I knew this was coming or anything like that. Um, just a typical marriage with, you know, ups and downs and fights and things. Um, but um, we had gone on mission trips together and um, led Bible studies in our home. He was a deacon. And I even worked at his business some, helping him as a secretary, uh, just, you know, you know, supporting his dreams and his goals until um, I gave birth to our son, who is now 17. And then I gave birth to my daughter, who is now 15. And it was at that time after my daughter was born that he got an amazing job opportunity, but it was in another state. And since we had dated long distance, um, we kind of thought, hey, we can do this. Like he can travel for business and, you know, we're used to being apart sometimes. And um, and so I wanted to stand by his goals and just really never questioned it because I never imagined that um, temptation would arise that would eventually lead to the end of our marriage. Um, and so it was in year 18 of our marriage that I discovered his affair. And then on December 22nd of 2015, after a heated fight about it, um, he left mm -hmm. and I was in shock. I was a walking zombie. I, um, didn't, you know, uh, believe that he was actually truly gone. I just believed the good in him and in our marriage. And I just thought he is going to repent and go to counseling and we'll be reconciled. Um, but that is not what happened, um, over the next 10 months. Um, he did come home. Um, I don't know about Five months into our separation, he uh, showed up at the door and, you know, said, you know, he wanted to reconcile, um, but it quickly fell through. And um, we tried to go on a family vacation in the summer and we stayed together um, in the hotel room once again, just trying. And I was just willing to do anything. I was like, I will forgive you, you know, just come home. You know, I kept flashing my wedding ring at him and being like, you are married to me, you know, like come home. Um, but he, he would say, it can't be fixed. I've already done this. Um, he just did not feel like he could. And so 
Um, I did not want to get lawyers involved. I did not want to start fighting over money and kids because I knew that wouldn't lead to reconciliation in my mind. That's what I felt. And, but he did want to get divorced. And so he drafted a disillusion and, um, he invited me to meet at a local Dunkin' Donuts to go over it with me. And I remember before we met, I, uh, pulled out my wedding album and I pulled out a picture um, I'm sorry, I'll get a little, um, and I pulled out a picture of us at the front of the church where we were holding hands saying our vows. Mm-hmm. And I took it with me to that Dunkin' Donuts. And as he pushed across the table, that disillusion of, you know, all the things written out for what he wanted in the divorce, I passed across the table that photo. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, till death do us part. And I mean to keep my vows and for better, for worse. And this is worse. And, you know, and I, you know, didn't want it. And I, and he paused and it was kind of a somber moment and he just took the picture and put it in his binder. And then we continued on with our conversation. And then, um, six weeks later, um, in court, the gavel came down Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was just about a quick two minutes in court. It's so fast. And it came down and the man I loved for 24 years had divorced me and our marriage was over. Wow. I am so sorry. I mean, I just, I, I know, you know, obviously this isn't the first time um, I'm hearing this story and, and for many of our listeners, it will be the first time, but just even hearing you share some of those details, hearing parts of your story again, um, it just is so heartbreaking. And I can't even imagine, I won't pretend to know what it's been like for you as a wife and, and as a mom, as you said, um, you know, to two amazing kids, our, our daughter Bella's friends with, with Alexis and just what that has been like. Um, to walk through. And I know, you know, Ruth and I were just talking recently, just, I mean, just how amazing you have been walking through this. Um, I mean, again, we can't imagine how painful that has been and just how challenging it has been, but just you, you are to be commended for the way you have handled yourself in the midst of that, of this. And I don't mean just publicly. I know that, that you have shared in, in, you know, different places at different times, your story, but I think, you know, even more importantly, the way you have handled yourself privately in those conversations you've had with, with Ruth and with other uh, cl- you know, close friends uh, that we know, um, you are to be commended. I just think you have honored God um, in the way that you have handled this. There's been things that you have chosen not to say where you could have said, you know, certain things. And so I just want to say thank you for, for just being an example of, of walking through this. Um, in a Christ-like way, in a godly way. And you have modeled that, uh, I think, in so many different ways. Um, you know, for, for Ruth, as, as you guys have been close friends, and just for many people that have, have watched from a distance. And so thank you for just the way you have done that. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more. I know you were kind of sharing a little bit about um, just how you did fight for your marriage. And I want the listeners to, to hear that again, because you did fight for your marriage um, over and over again. And you gave Keith opportunities to come back. And, and, uh, and, and I think I'd love for you to kind of share what that looked like, um, you know, practically, because I know that, that it wasn't like just sort of come back on your terms. I mean, there were things that, that as you were fighting for your marriage and desiring to be reconciled, there, there were some things you were asking him, and rightfully so, uh, to do and to be a part of that, that in the end he wasn't willing to do that. And so would you just share what it looked like for you to yeah. try to reconcile and, and when you knew um, that it just wasn't going to work, when it was time to just walk away? 
Right. Well, the very next day after our divorce on October 31st, he immediately took the other woman and left the state. Mm -hmm. And he went to um, a place about 1800 miles away and he bought a house. And once again, it was kind of a shock for me because uh, I was just like, oh, wow, he really is gone. Like he went and did something kind of permanent purchasing something. And so I at that moment thought, okay, it's over. And I got to accept this. I fought to the, what I felt at the time was the end. Um, but what happened unexpectedly was he came back on Christmas morning. Um, and this is something we still do every Christmas. We, he comes at eight in the morning and we're with the kids and we stay together until about one thirty. And, um, and so that Christmas he showed up and he was different. He was, um, really wanting to talk to me. He had missed me. He was remorseful. And so we began to talk about reconciling. And so, um, by February, um, he wanted to come back home only we weren't married. And so I'm like, how do we do this? Um, I'm like, you're going to need to stay in the basement. Uh, because I didn't know exactly, you know, I didn't, yeah. there's, no book on how to do right. it. And so I was like, okay, I want to get remarried. I want to welcome you home. But like, so the very first time that we tried to reconcile after divorce, I did not have a lot of great boundaries yet. Um, we uh, started going to church as a family, a new church um, every week. Um, he met with my parents and he apologized. Um, he came to an extended family get together where he was welcomed in and loved. Um, we looked at a new home and bought a new home locally. Um, and we were going to start over. Um, we went, he went to a counseling session with me and then he took me and the kids on spring break, um, 1800 miles away to go visit the new house that he had purchased there. Um, and so, you know, it's a little crazy and very chaotic when I look back, all these things being purchased and flying around and there was just a lot. Um, but I was just, I will admit that like, I was just in denial and I was just very much just wanting to be surrendered to God, like whatever I can do to put this family back together, I will walk through the fire and do. And so, um, I thought we were making it, we were talking about remarriage and we're on this trip. And on the very last day of that trip, um, the Lord allowed it to be revealed to me through a weird situation that during those seven weeks, he was still not being faithful to me. And so, um, I again was just in shock and, and I came home and he said, I'm going to move the other woman into that new house uh, locally. And that was a dagger in my heart. Like you would not believe yeah. it was second. Like you're kidding me. No, you've come back with my family. We're going to church. Like we're so, yeah. and, um, we, I felt like we were so close. And so that is when emotionally, I began to like say, okay, I need boundaries and I can't open myself up like this for my kids for my sake. But, um, over the next 18 months, he would call me from time to time and say that he wanted to come home. And so we would begin to talk and I would say, okay, we need to start counseling and these things. And, um, he just did not want to follow through with going to counseling. And so it would regularly fall through and, in June of 2018, this is really interesting because the title of your book is something I actually said to him that night, but mm. June of 2018, I remember that he wanted to meet me at a Dunkin' Donuts. It was late at night. It was like midnight. And I pull in, it is a different Dunkin' Donuts, by the way. We must have something with Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to a Dunkin' Donuts again. <laughs> so we pull into this par empty parking lot and he invites me to get out of my car and into his pickup truck. And he's again saying, Hey, I miss you. You know, can we talk? And I'm like reassuring him. Yes. You're, you know, I still love you and that, but you know, I started to say, 
um, you know what? I was like, but the dock has left, I mean, the boat has left the dock Mm -hmm. and I've gotten out into the middle of water and here's why I'm different now. I now know I'm going to be okay Mm -hmm. whether you do the work or not, whether you go to counseling or not, what, no, whatever happens here, I know I'm going to be okay. And so I said, I need the actions not just the words. And when you do that work, I'm here. And, um, he didn't want to do the work. He felt that unconditional love meant no conditions and meant that he would not be required to like go to counseling or do anything. And I, on the other hand, just felt that, um, for my own protection and my kids that I couldn't do that. I couldn't just open the door to my home in that way. So that is when I realized that it wasn't, it was the first time for me in a sense to kind of walk away and say, you know what, if you don't, I'm good. I'm not going to keep on just being here available in that way. I was still praying for reconciliation, but I wasn't just an open door. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when I kind of realized when he walked away from that, I knew that we probably were coming to an end. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. Just, I mean, the, the grace that God gave you, like you said, I mean, just, that's such a powerful statement that you were in a boat in the middle of a lake, and yet you knew you were going to be okay with or without him. Even without him, you were God was going to sustain you, um, that, that God was with you in the midst of that. And just it sounds like what, what a crucial turning point that was for mm-hmm. you in, in beginning uh, or maybe continuing the, the healing process. Um, I mean, what role... I mean, what, what does the healing process look like for you, um, you know, as you kind of came to grips with like the closure of your marriage, realizing this is not going to work, he doesn't want it to work, he's not willing to do the work to be right. reconciled? I mean, what does that healing process look like for you from that, that point until now? And, and what part of forgiveness, like how much of forgiveness has that played into the healing process for you? Well, it's kind of strange because one of the things that I think for some women that um, might be harder just based on different, I don't know, life experiences, personalities, things like that. But for me, the affair was not um, maybe as hard to forgive as maybe some of these other things that I've struggled with. So for example, forgiving the affair, I wanted to empathize with him. I wanted to hear what it was that led him there. I want to take responsibility knowing I was not a perfect wife. I did not want to take responsibility for his affair, but for the fact that there was a breakdown in in our marriage. And so I wanted to hear what are the things that hurt you or that were bothering you? For example, um, one of the things is that he loves to ride motorcycles. While we were married, he had um, Harleys. And so he would be like, let's go for a ride. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> do I have to? You know, I didn't really, I did it. It was very begrudgingly. I'm not a high risk girl, high adventure. And he is like super is. So that was a disconnect and that was hard. And he was right when he said that hurt me. I needed you on the back of the bike to feel your arms around me there and riding alone was hard for him. And like now looking back at that, I can see that and I can empathize with him in that sense, but that doesn't make it okay to go have an affair. I did, um, my brother-in-law, um, I was talking to him the one time about it and saying how bad I felt. And he said, um, I love to golf and my wife doesn't, that does not mean I can go and, you know, and and so that made me feel better, but I still wanted to take responsibility for the parts of our marriage where I had failed. And so I was able to, in that space, I felt like forgive and I have forgiven him. But the part that I struggle with in forgiving him is what has happened since the hurt to the kids, the emergencies when he's not there, when my kids have been injured and I'm in the emergency room and he's not there. Um, when the pilot light goes out on my water heater and I don't know how to relight it and I'm watching YouTube try to figure it out. 
I mean, it's things like that when the basement is flooded, when the light bulb in the foyer that's super high, I have to figure out how to change it. You know, it's that stuff that literally makes me mad at him. And it's on an ongoing basis, things that frustrate me, that there's an empty chair at our kitchen table, that there's an empty spot in our garage, that empty spot in the pew. You know, all of that um, is really, it's a daily forgiveness. It really, it's a regular, um, you know, yeah, a regular, uh, I have to regularly forgive him because there's a lot of hurts that come in the midst of a divorce. Yeah, no, that's really good. I know, you know, I don't know who said it, if it was, it was Tim Keller who, who talked about, or maybe Paul Tripp, the, the idea of, of forgiveness being not an event, but it's a process mm-hmm. and, you know, it's event or forgiveness isn't something we just do once. It's something we go on doing. And I think that's really what you're describing. I mean, you, you have forgiven and yet it's that, that, daily battle sometimes where, you know, the, the memory of that reality surfaces uh, in a variety of ways and it's choosing to go on forgiving him. It's that, that process and not just an event of choosing not to keep punishing him. Um, I think is what, what Tim Keller talks about in the area of forgiveness. Um, I mean, talk a little bit, I mean, your, your kids are, are awesome. They're, they're 15 and 17. Um, I have not met either one of them in person, but I know Bella is our, our daughter, Bella, who just turned 16, um, is friends with Alexis and they're, they're talking and doing stuff on Instagram. It's so fun to see them, uh, coming into the gifts that God has given them. But talk about, I mean, this is not, and you mentioned it, uh, you know, previously that this hasn't just affected you as a wife, it's affected you as a mom, as a parent. And yeah. so like, what does that look like for you to just parent your kids well during this time? Cause this is, not just Keith's sin wasn't just against you. It was against them. It was against your whole family. And That's so right. what is, what does that look like, you know, for you just to be a mom to, to Alex and Alexis, um, or the last four years and, and, you know, what does that continue to look like today? Well, someone told me that your kids need one stable parent. If you could just have one that's stable. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to have to be that one. I can't get crazy crying, you know, all day under in my bed, under my covers, you know, just, you know, like I was like, I got to get out of bed. I got to keep moving forward. I got to make, I got kids, you know, they keep you moving in that sense too. And at the time I was still homeschooling, which in a sense I feel is unfortunate for them because they were kind of stuck in this space and they, you know, this was like their whole world and they didn't really have that, you know, um, freedom to go to school. And, and so they were, you know, here in that space. And so, um, that was hard, but I wanted to stay as consistent and as steady and just walking out my faith before the kids, um, you know, just praying with them and stay as steady as I could. And, um, during that time, I, you know, also started counseling for myself and, you know, talking with good friends you know, I began to work on myself, but, um, I did have my son, um, during did struggle more than my daughter. And, um, there was a season, a long season where he was very, um, angry, um, very adverse to going to church. And so as a mom, I had to figure out, you know, I wanted to be firm, but loving. Um, I wanted to give him the freedom to like miss youth group while saying, no, you must go to worship service. And, and so just working through those battles as a mom, I got very scared, like, oh my gosh, I lost my husband. Now I'm going to lose my son too. And it got very scary for me because I couldn't see how it's going to end where he's at today. He's doing great. I mean, I can't remember the last time he disobeyed me. He's just great. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay. He's going to today do something. Nice. <laughs> That's right. You, you should have never said that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, no church battles. I mean, he's yeah. come through that. He yeah. had to work Praise through God. his stuff and I'm sure there'll still be stuff he has to work through. We all are yeah. working. 
in progress, but it was scary and it was hard, but you know, just praying with them and still reading the Bible and just staying as steady and consistent as I could. That was for me, the key. Yeah. It's so, it's so good. I mean, I just think it is so difficult to, I mean, I think it's so easy to become absorbed with our suffering. I just know that, you know, going, when I was going through treatment, I mean, I felt terrible physically. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, scared. Um, I was worried, uh, you know, we didn't know the outcome or how effective treatment was going to be. And, and so it is, you know, no matter what you're going through, whether it's in marriage or cancer or, or a job loss, it's just so easy to kind of turn inward. And I just love that. I think that's such a great challenge for, for those that are listening that might be walking through um, some difficult season to, to remember that our kids are watching us. And I, that was one of the best pieces of advice my sister gave me. Um, I have two older sisters and one of them um, they, they, it didn't feel like encouragement at the time, but they, they said to me, or she said to me, you know, all eyes are on you. And what she meant by that was that, you know, um, you've been preaching and teaching for 20 years and people have listened to you. Now they're going to be watching you. And that was just such a great, I feel like God just gave me those words, um, early on in my diagnosis. And I certainly didn't do it perfectly in, in our home. And there's things that if I could go back, I would do differently with our kids, but I just, I love that. I, I just think, um, again, praise God for the, for the grace that he gave you as you were dealing with something incredibly painful that, that God gave you the grace and the wisdom to continue um, just investing in your kids and leading them well and not becoming absorbed in your own suffering because um, that is just so, so hard. Apart from, from God's grace, it's impossible. Um, you know, one of the things I learned in, in my suffering is just how weak I am. <laughs> and so I it just sort of, there were things where I was like, oh, wow, I have preached on that, but I don't really believe that, you know, that I don't really, I said, I believe that, but that's not really a deep belief. Um, and so my suffering kind of exposed some areas where I needed to grow and some things that I, I, you know, of course I believed them, but I didn't believe them deeply. They weren't promises or truths that, that I really was, was clinging to. And that was one of the ways God just shaped me and, and transformed me. But, but what are some things that just over the last couple of years, um, you've learned about who God is and maybe things that you've learned about who you are, how has God used that storm to reveal new things about who he is, or maybe new things about who you are? Mm. Well, first, I know for me, one of the things that um, I learned in my suffering um, is that um, learning to un- to accept unanswered prayers. Mm-hmm. That was really, really painful for me for God to not answer my prayers. And um, I got like, I dug in deep, like praying and fasting. And, you know, just um, I knew that like there were possibly thousands of people that prayed for my marriage because of my blog and me yeah. sharing little bit there. And I was just like, why is this not happening? Like, you know, and now I can so, um, relate to people who have prayed for people who are sick and, you know, maybe they pass away. They don't get that answer prayer. I would not know the pain of that without walking through this to understand that, um, you know, and I would tell the kids, um, you know, this is where God shows up best. This is where, you know, this is where he shines. He transforms life. He changes people. And, you know, we're going to keep praying. And then, then in front of the kids for it to not happen. And you're like, uh Oh, I gotta be careful. You know? And like, I started getting like, okay, I trust God, but like my roots of my faith run deep and my kids, you know, their faith is, is young. And I was worried that these things would, um, knock them down and they may not be able to stand again. And they may, 
doubt and not trust. And I think those things did happen. Um, I think we did have to wrestle through, through that. So one of the things I learned when you were mentioning about weakness was that there, that was definitely learning to just truly surrender to God and say, thy will be done. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, my will was different than where I'm at today. Um, but then as far as what I learned about God, just that, um, the Jehovah Jireh, that he is my provider. Um, I always knew that, that he was my provider, but then I had to like live it and just financially, but spiritually and emotionally and physically, like the way he provided for me, um, emotionally through friends showing up with flowers and with coffee. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning, Ruth, um, you know, your wife, um, I remember that the group of my blogging friends offered to come the week that um, my divorce was going to go through. I think actually Karen Eman had said, we will come to the courthouse with you. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Karen. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm good. My parents will be there. You right. know, and stuff. And I said, but you know what would mean a lot to me is if maybe you guys had come a few weeks later and just, mm-hmm. can we just have fun? Yeah. Can we just laugh? That's what I need. Like I've cried a lot, but I just needed friends to just take my mind off of it. Yep. And yep. they did. Ruth showed up and Karen and Claire and Katina, a bunch of us got together and we laughed and we had so much fun and it was what I needed. And God just has done that. And, um, and that has meant so much to me, like little kisses from God, where I just feel like times, another situation, um, was during the pandemic. I was feeling very, um, very, uh, you know, during stay at home orders, it's just me and two teenagers stuck yeah, in my house. Yeah. I'm like, I might go crazy. <laughs> and to be honest, I struggled when I look on Facebook and all these other families, you know, husbands and wives are together and they're like, Oh, it's a great time together watching movies and all this. And I'm like, okay, this is not great. I need yeah. a, I need another adult. And so, um, but what put like a straw that broke the camel's back, which is very insignificant probably to other people, but my propane tank ran out mm. on my grill and I have never replaced one before. And so I put an SOS out to my good morning girls group and was just like crying actually over a propane tank, which is just <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? But it was too, it was this extended period of alone time yeah. without man, with just these kids. And I start crying about it. And when you know it the next day, one of the girls in my group showed up at the mm. door with the propane tank in her hand, she's like, my husband showed me how to do this. I got this, you know? Yep. And it stopped like that. We are it just, people showed up and unexpectedly. I thought I was going to have to figure it out. It wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. Um, God is my provider. Yeah. That is so good. I love, you know, just, uh, you know, the, the way you're describing the community that God has put around you and just the way that, 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 you know, community sustains you and strengthens you in the middle of the storm. And, you know, that, that passage in Mark four, where, you know, Jesus takes the disciples out into the storm, you know, he takes them together. And, and so suffering is never something we do by ourselves. It's something that that we do together, that we should do together. And so I just, you know, I know for Ruth and I, um, that has been such an encouragement to us over the last couple of years. And you use that word show up. And I just think that's so appropriate. Like you don't need people to do everything. You just want somebody to do something. And just the simple things, sometimes the ways that people show up, uh, bringing a propane tank. I mean, just those kinds of things mean the world, uh, to somebody who's, who's in the midst of, of, you know, great suffering and, and just, you know, struggling, something as simple as a propane tank can seem so, so, uh, so overwhelming. And yet the gift that is when somebody does show up and just, you know, meets that need in a practical way or just hanging out, just being together, you know, love doesn't let somebody be alone for too long. And mm-hmm. so, um, I, I just love that. But let me just ask you, um, one last question. I mean, what encouragement would you give to someone who has experienced, you know, the pain of an unfaithful spouse? I mean, what hope would you give them? 
Well, I think once you're in the space where you are divorced, you realize that divorce is a little like a chronic illness. Um, Just because you got a divorce, it doesn't mean like you just, you know, wash your hands of it and now it's over. It it doesn't go away. (laughs) The ex-spouse is still there. It's still a part of the children's lives. And so it's something you do have to continue to deal with. um, And you have to seek healing. You have to press in in your walk with God every single day. In our own strength, we cannot do it. We cannot be strong enough. I am not strong. Um, it is only the Lord that every day sustains me. And one of the things I did learn was that I had to move forward with my own life. I could not become consumed with this. I need to create a new life filled with things that I love, what I believe that, you know, God is leading me into, um, reading good books, going to counseling, you know, the practical things, work out, eat right, take care of yourself, work on yourself. Um, that's the practical stuff. But, um, as far as hope when my, one of my favorite chapters, um, in the Bible is Psalm 46. It's a Psalm that I read regularly to my kids in the morning before school. And I just want to read the first three verses. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. And what I love about those verses is saying, even if the mountains are moved into, even if the worst things happen in our lives, Selah, be still and know that he is God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is present in times of trouble. And so we don't have to give in to fear. And these are just verses I have to meditate and I have to keep telling myself to believe every day, wake up and believe. I choose to believe every day the truth of God's words over the lies of the enemy that tempt me to want to just crumble into pieces or fall into temptation or go a different path. I want to stay on the path that God has for me. And I do have to fight for that. And there's so many unanswered questions when you get divorced. You know, am I going to be okay financially? Are my kids going to be okay? Am I going to be stuck single the rest of my life? <laughs> That's my big question. <laughs> and, you know, and it's just be still, yeah. be still, live surrendered. We are so loved by God. And, um, and so just to keep walking with him and abiding in him. Yeah, it's so good. Well, thank you. Um, and thank you again for um, just sharing your story. I know, you know, even though it's been a number of years, it can still be challenging, painful to kind of revisit, you know, some of those, those parts, some of those pieces of the story. And so again, thank you so much for just sharing your story, for being on the episode today. And um, I just know that there's a lot of people who, who needed to hear this, who are going to benefit from hearing your story. And uh, Ruth and I are just so grateful. Again, to call you a friend, a ministry partner, and we just love you and your family. And so um, thanks again for for just being on today and, and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I want to close, you know, I know we were talking earlier, you know, I've been in pastoral ministry now for about 20 years and I've had, you know, the privilege of walking alongside so many couples and and families over the years. And, and I've seen marriages restored and I've also seen, you know, some of those marriages that that have been severed uh, apart for, for a variety of reasons. And so as we close, I want to just pray for you. I want to pray for your family. And then when I'm done praying for you and your family, would you just pray for our listeners that, um, maybe you're going through a difficult time in their marriage. Maybe they haven't experienced uh, an unfaithful spouse, but they're struggling in their yeah. marriage. And so I just love to pray for you. And then when I'm done, if you would just pray for those listeners sure. that maybe are in that place today. Okay. Um, Father, we just come before you again today. And God, we do love you. Thank you that, that your love for us is steady, that you never leave us. You don't forsake us, that you are true to us. 
And so we just thank you for the love that you have poured out for us in Christ, that the cross is the, the greatest evidence of your love for us. And so we thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus, that he died for us, that he rose again, that he has ascended, that he sits at the right hand of you, God the Father, and one day he's going to return. And we thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from the love that you have for us in Christ. And God, I thank you so much for Courtney, for her love for you, and God, just for the grace that you have poured out on her and her kids during this time. And I just lift her and Alex and Alexis up to you today. And God, I ask that you would continue to be a refuge to them, that they would continue to rest in you, that you would surround them on every side. And I pray that you would continue to give them strength and wisdom and God, that you would use this and continue to use this. You've already used it, but continue to use this not only in Courtney's life, but in Alex and in Alexis life as well. And we just pray that you would raise her kids up to continue walking with you and delighting you and serving you. And God, I pray for Keith. I pray for Courtney's ex-husband. Uh, God, that you would bring him one day to a place of true repentance and brokenness. God, that he would see his sin for what it really is. And that, um, God, that you would bring him back to a right relationship with you. And so wherever he is today, whatever he's walking in, whatever he's in the midst of, God, we ask that out of your grace, you would pursue him and love him and bring him back to you first and foremost. And so I just lift up Courtney and her kids to you today. And Lord, we love you and we trust you. And we thank you for her story. We know it's going to be an encouragement to so many listeners today. And we pray that in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. And dear Heavenly Father, God, I just lift up to you uh, the women who are listening today who are in marriages that are hard, God. I pray that you would give these wisdoms, uh, these women wisdom, that you would give them strength. I pray that they would know your love, that they would feel your presence in their lives and that you would comfort them. And I just pray that you would show them um, what they should do, Lord, when they should be firm and, and stand up to evil in their marriage and when they should be humble and admit their their failings and the things that they need to work on, Lord. Um, I just pray for Christian families everywhere. God, Satan is just hates us and he wants to rip us apart. And I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen marriages, that you would give men and women and husbands and wives humble hearts, and that you would just draw them closer and tighter and that the children and the generation after generation that we would all just follow after you, Lord, for your glory. And so I just pray for the women also who right now are walking through the dark days of divorce, who are on the other side and just don't know what's ahead and it's scary, Lord, I pray you give them peace. I pray that they can be still and trust you every day, that they would wake up and just trust in you, that you are a good God, that you love us so much, that you do provide, that you are with us. And I just pray that you would just continue to carry them. And uh, we love you, God, so much. You are a great God and you are so good. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Courtney. Um, one quick word about our forthcoming book, In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake. It isn't here yet, but it will be here on September 8th. But you can pre-order that book today and get the first three chapters right away. Uh, you can get a scripture memorization guide and an exclusive access code to a private Facebook, uh, Facebook group with Ruth and I. We're going to be giving you kind of a sneak peek into our lives and sharing some more resources with you over the next few months. And you can head over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or really anywhere books are sold to pre-order your copy. And we'll be sure to leave the link to the pre-order goodies in the show notes. And you can also go to inaboatbook.com for all of the pre-order details. Well, as Courtney showed us, no matter what we are facing, we can find peace when we go to God's Word. If you are in need of God's hope today, we have a special gift for you. We know that sometimes it can be hard to even know what Bible verses to go to first in the middle of suffering. So we put together a resource for you called 30 Scriptures for Hope 
in hard times to get you started. You can download 30 Scriptures for Hope in hard times in the show notes at rootlikefaith.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to go to the site. You'll see uh, Courtney's full bio and uh, different ways that you can follow along with her ministry. You can follow us at Instagram or on Instagram at Patrick W. Schwank and Ruth Schwank on Facebook. And if we don't say it enough already, we are just thrilled that you are joining us and we welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast so you don't miss an episode.